All right, Luke. Luke chapter 1 has been said. Um, if you don't have one, there should be one scattered around at the end of the rows, and uh, somebody would be happy to pass that down to you. Luke chapter 1, if you've got one of the Bibles that are scattered around in here, that should be on page 856. We're going to be in verses 76 through 79 primarily today of Luke chapter 1. Luke 1, 76 through 79. Word of God says this. And you, child, speaking of John the Baptist, will be called the prophet of the Most High. For you will go before the Lord, Jesus, to prepare His ways, to give knowledge of salvation to His people in the forgiveness of their sins, because of the tender mercy of our God, whereby the sunrise shall visit us from on high, to give light to those who sit in darkness and in the shadow of death, to guide our feet into the way of peace. Let's pray. Father, um, we come to you this morning, I come to you this morning, knowing that in ourselves, apart from Christ, we have nothing good to offer. But through Him, we have been lavished upon grace and mercy and kindness and righteousness applied to us. And so, Father, we come and I pray that the overflow of that is that we just resonate with praise unto you and love for others. So, God, we're thankful. We pray you will do a mighty work in this room right now in our hearts. And we pray you'll do a mighty work among the nations, among our city the churches who are proclaiming the gospel, wherever the gospel is being preached today or proclaimed or spoken, God, we pray that you will begin to save people for your glory. Father, we pray not just for us in this room, but for our kids, for our youth, for everyone who's hearing the gospel. We pray that you will begin to chisel away at hard hearts, Lord, that people will see their need and overflow in just abundant praise and thanksgiving. So, Father, we love you. Please change us by your Spirit as you apply the words to our heart for your glory that we may increase in joy. You may get all the praise for you are glorious. We thank you for Christ in whose name we pray. Amen. Amen. All right. Well, there's a place in Raleigh um, that is loved by all. Um, I love it. It's right down the road. I think that some of you are a little crazy. When I looked on Facebook, I saw that some of you actually looked forward this past week. You looked forward to daylight saving. You looked forward to losing an hour of sleep because this place was giving away freebies. It's sweet. It's delicious. And here's a video clip in one minute that'll get our taste buds pumping.
Amen? <laughs> no amens there. All right. <laughs> um, now, I showed that at the risk of losing a few of you to wanderlust and the munchies, but I did so to, uh, to illustrate a point. Um, there's, not, there's not two things in God's created food order that when they come together, when they collide, that create an explosion of taste and flavor like a hot donut that comes together with or collides with glazed icing. The result of something we crave is something that's sweet and it's delightful to all. Well, similarly, there are two realities in the Christian life that when they collide, when they come together here in the heart, they produce an overflow that's sweet and is delightful to all. What are the two realities? I get them from a Tim Keller quote. Um, You can see that on your screen. Let me read this. Tim Keller says, We are more sinful and flawed in ourselves than we ever dared believe. Yet at the same time, we are more loved and accepted in Jesus Christ than we ever dared hope. Reality number one, we are more sinful and flawed in ourselves than we ever dared believe. Reality number two, we are more loved and accepted in Jesus Christ than we ever dared hope. You see, when the the Christian understands the depth of our sin, yet 100 times over the immense depth of God's love and acceptance through faith in Christ, when these two realities collide in the heart of the believer and we understand then God's mercy, the result is an explosion of praise unto God and an overflow of sweet mercy to others. So we've already, we've already stoked our physical taste buds today. And my, my prayer right now is as we, as we look at and think upon the mercy of God, it will ignite our spiritual taste buds. So the theme today, mercy received, ignites the heart and overflows into mercy extended. Now maybe, I don't know, maybe you're here and... Um, and your heart that you felt was once ablaze for Christ, maybe now feels like it's just but a flicker. Or maybe you're here and maybe just the strong passion, the burden you had to, to just go out and share the love of Jesus with others is now just a shadow of what it once was. Or maybe you're here and, and, and you don't even know why you're here. You know, you're just here and your heart feels lifeless and you know something's wrong and you're just looking for answers. No matter what state we find ourselves in today, we all need the same thing to set our hearts on the mercy of God. Now, we just read verses 76 through 79 um, that are part of a song of Zechariah that fits into this broader context of Luke chapter 1. So, if you lived in... If you lived in ancient Israel, right, if we lived there and we heard a modern-day rap song about um, chrome rims and swag, or we heard a modern-day country song about party boats and cow tipping, we would be like, what is going on, right? What's happening in that culture? We don't get it. Well, likewise, for us to understand Zachariah's song, we must understand this background in the broader context. So let's just kind of take a few minutes and just jump into the bigger story um, of Luke chapter 1 here. So what's going on is, God's people, Israel, were wondering what happened. Yeah, they're like, what is going on? God has spoken for centuries. God has spoken through the prophets. God has spoken and for years and years and years now. There have been silence. There have been silence. And things weren't looking good 
They were being oppressed by Rome. Um, They were wondering, you know, would the promises of God be fulfilled? Would God fulfill his promises? In verse 5, here's some things we see. First of all, we see that Zechariah is a Jewish priest. In verse 6, it says that he and his wife Elizabeth, they walked with God. They walked with God. Verse 7 says that uh, they're both pretty old, and she was barren. She was old age, couldn't have children. And verse 13 says they had prayed. They had prayed. They had pleaded with God for a child. And they had continued to worship and serve and follow God through much pain and pleading and prayer. And one day, one day Zechariah, he's in the temple, he's doing his priestly thing, his priestly duties, and the angel Gabriel comes to him in the temple. And verse 13 says, Zechariah, says your wife Elizabeth, in her old age, she's going to have a son named, and you're to name him John, and he will bring joy and gladness to your heart. And and basically, Gabriel says, even as a little tyke, even as a little guy in the womb, he's going to be filled with the Holy Spirit, and God is going to use him to turn people to the Lord. And Zechariah, he hears this, and he's like... "Um, yeah, but, you know, I'm, I'm old and so is she. I don't, I don't know about this. I don't know if this is true. You know, is this, a, is this like a, a free three-day cruise scam? What's going on here? So Zechariah comes out of the temple and he sees the people praying. But he can't speak due to his unbelief. And so now you can just imagine, Zechariah has now got nine months unable to speak to ponder God's grace and to see this miracle growing in the womb of his bride, Elizabeth. And you can just imagine over this time, I can just imagine that he probably couldn't wait to tell what he saw, to be able to tell what he saw and how God had answered prayer. Now, meanwhile, meanwhile, Gabriel visited Elizabeth. Gabriel visited, excuse me, Gabriel visited Mary to tell her that she's going to have a son, Jesus, who is going to be the Savior, the Messiah. And one day Elizabeth, with spirit-filled John in her womb, goes and hangs out with Mary, with spirit-filled Jesus in her womb. And John, when he hears the voice of Mary, jumps, leaps in the womb, because this is a sign to him that the Messiah is coming. The Messiah is coming, and I pray that this is what happens to our hearts, that they will leap today as we look at and think about Christ. So it was time for John to be born, and the friends and the family, they, get, they gather ground, and they're, they're rejoicing. And verse 58 tells us, they're rejoicing over the great mercy that God has shown to Elizabeth. Verse 62, Zechariah sees this, and you've got to picture this now. Zechariah's been in a nine-month game of Pictionary, right? So he's watching all of this, can't talk. He sees this, they're all gathered around, and here's what they're saying. They're talking about what they're going to name the child, right? And they're like, Zechariah, Junior. You know, they're, they're going for Junior here. And so Zechariah sees this, he clamors for the, the, the pen and the tablet, and he begins to write, in faith, as the angel had commanded, his name is John. And immediately, his mouth is opened, his tongue is loosed, and he explodes in verse 64 in praise and blessing unto God. And I want to read the entirety of Zechariah's song now, verses 68 through 79. Blessed be the Lord God of Israel, for He has visited and redeemed His people 
and has raised up a horn of salvation for us. A horn of salvation is not in our typical vocabulary. It's not honk if you love Jesus. This is an Old Testament reference to the mighty ox. This is a reference to the horn of the the mighty ox that was a victorious and mighty animal. And this is a, a statement saying that there will be a Redeemer, a Savior, who will be victorious and mighty. God has raised up a horn of salvation for us in the house of His servant David. As He spoke by the mouth of His holy prophets from of old, that we should be saved from our enemies and from the hand of all who hate us, to show the mercy promised to our fathers and to remember His holy covenant, the oath that He swore to our father Abraham, to grant us that we, being delivered from the hands of our enemies, might serve Him without fear, in holiness and righteousness before Him, all our days, and you, child, will be called the prophet of the Most High, for you will go before the Lord to prepare His ways, to give knowledge of salvation to His people in the forgiveness of their sins because of the tender mercy of our God, whereby the sunrise shall visit us from on high to give light to those who sit in darkness and in the shadow of death to guide our feet into the way of peace. Now, 12 verses here. And Zechariah, whose heart is full, overflows with what? You know, how excited he is to be a dad? No. How cool it was that he saw an angel? No. How awesome his grasshopper-eating son's going to be? No. How great and merciful is his God? And last week, Sean said in his sermon that to tame the tongue, the heart must be changed. Because what comes out here is a reflection of what's here in the heart. And his heart was gripped by the mercies of God and overflowed praise to a merciful God. In verse 76 and 77, he sings about how John will highlight God's mercy through Jesus, through the Christ. And it's these four verses that we want to reflect on today. As we just, I just want us to think about the waterfall of God's mercy that He has poured out on us. So main ideas, we got four today. Main ideas related to God's mercy. Number one, God forgives sins because of His tender mercy. Number two, in tender mercy, He came to us. Number three, in tender mercy, He shines light into our darkness. Number four, in tender mercy, He lights a path for us to walk in peace. As we read in verse, as we read in verse 76 and 77, John's going to prepare the way for Jesus by letting people know that salvation comes through forgiveness of sins. God forgives sins. Verse 78 Why does God forgive sins there? Let's look. Because of the tender mercy of our God. Why does God forgive sins? Because of His tender mercy. So point number one is just that. God forgives sins because of His tender mercy. And the first question we've got to ask then is, what is mercy? How do you define mercy? Well, um, here's what... Here's what the Urban Dictionary said. The Urban Dictionary online said, Mercy 
is the one thing that Chuck Norris does not know the meaning of. I thought that was pretty good. Anyway, but that's not for our purposes today. We have two other definitions of mercy, and we're getting these from Webster, all right? Webster says, number one, mercy is kind or forgiving treatment of someone who could be treated harshly. Number two, mercy is kindness or help given to people who are in a very bad or desperate situation. Amen? Why do we need forgiveness? Why do we need mercy? Because as Tim Keller said, we are more flawed and sinful than we ever dared believe. Now for the Christian here, this reality of what we were, past tense, dead in our sin, should only fuel explosive Joy, because we understand that such a great debt has been paid forever by a perfect Savior. So the Christian must view their sin through the lens of Christ and the cross. What Jesus has done, because that's how God views our sin now. We've got a picture I want us to look at. I want us just to think about this. Your life, believer, your failure, my failure, our weakness, our lust, our pride, our greed, every detail now is seen by God through this framework, through this lens, through the cross, through the finished work of Christ, through His death in your place. And nothing in your life is viewed outside of that lens. You see, God takes our messed up lives and He sees them through the beautiful lens of His Son's perfect life. He takes our shattered picture and turns it into a beautiful portrait of His grace. So as we talk about sin, friends, if you're in Christ, your head should not hang, but should be held high in praise. Because the scars sin has left in your life, they don't overcome you, they remind you of His scars. They don't define you, they remind you of who He is, and His love fuels your love and obedience. For others here who don't know Christ, I pray that the reality of your sin and your need for forgiveness, I pray that it falls on you like a two-ton truck with square wheels that you see you cannot move. Because as one man said, till sin be bitter, Christ won't be sweet. But when you see the depth of your sin, and when you trust a merciful Savior, you are cleansed, you are made new, and nothing is sweeter. Nothing. So what does Scripture, what does it tell us about our hearts? What does it tell us about our hearts apart from Christ? Jeremiah 17, 9, familiar verse. The heart is deceitful above all things and desperately wicked. (laughs) It's my heart and yours. Romans says no one is righteous, not one. So we're sinful to the core. But what about God? What about God? Habakkuk 1.13 says He is so pure that He cannot look at wrong. This week, this week in the news, um, and for the past couple of weeks on WRAL, there has been just a, there's been a story that's just been heartbreaking to me. Um, it's, it's something that happened a couple of years ago. The trial's happening now, and they, they're recapping the trial. And it's the story of a little girl, a four-year-old girl. whose name was Tegan, and a beautiful little girl with her headband and her smile. And um, for, for over a week here close by, 
Um, she was horrifically tortured until the point of death. And WRAL has had these captions up from the trial, and they detail these gruesome details of her torture that I wouldn't repeat here. Um, and when I see it, when I see it, my heart rages. My heart rages and cries out for justice to fall on the man who did this to this little girl. And here's what I found myself doing. I found myself, as I read WRAL over this last week, I found myself covering up this caption so that I could read other things. I found myself putting my hand over it while I looked at other things, other articles. I had to turn away because the wickedness was too great. It was too great. God, because He's holy and He's pure, apart from faith in Jesus Christ, this is how God viewed our sin. Our lust, my lust, our greed, our deceit, our anger. And not just our sin of of blatant disobedience, but even the times that we knew we should have done something, but didn't. That's sin that renders us guilty. James 4.17 says, if you know what is right and don't do it, that's sin. Think about that. When you didn't turn the game off yesterday and help with the dishes, but you knew you should have, guilty, right? And any sin must be punished by a holy and pure God. You see, it's, it's, not, it's not a spiritual makeover that we needed. We didn't look sort of okay in God's eyes. Jesus didn't come to, to give us a little airbrush to our sort of okay picture to make it into a glamour shot. We had to be remade. Our heart had to be remade. It's not like we even wanted God's help, right? We didn't even want God's help. We didn't think we needed God's help. We weren't swimming toward the shore of salvation, just needing a hand from Jesus to pull us up. We were swimming Mach 3, Michael Phelps speed in the wrong direction, thinking we were strong, thinking we were headed to what the world promised would be a paradise. Yet on the course for Chernobyl, for Alcatraz, drowning in the poison waters of our self-effort and our sin, not seeing our need, Cursing God by our self-sufficiency and willingness to drown, flailing, rather than cry out for help. And God saw our sin-sick hearts and mercifully opened them to see our need for forgiveness and our inability to save ourselves, to see the beauty of the One who did it all. This is the mercy of our God. And when we understand our sinfulness, yet much moreover how much we're loved and accepted and forgiven in Christ, our hearts can't help but ignite, our lips can't help but recite that God has given us life, that mercy's hand grips us tight and propels us into the night to display love that shines bright so the dying may walk in the light and smell the aroma of Christ and feast on heaven's delights. We see His mercy. And like Zechariah, We explode in praise unto God, followed by mercy to others. Now notice in verse 78, God's mercy through Jesus is not described simply as mercy, but tender mercy. It's tender mercy. Why tender, you know? Why is is mercy not enough? Why tender? The word tender, it means... It means like in the inner parts, in the depths of the body and heart. And what it's meant to do is to show that God's compassion and concern towards sinners is deep. It's at His core. 
God hates sin, right? The cross shows that. Jesus Christ took our sin, in a sense became our sin. And on the cross, sin was bloodied, it was pierced, it was beaten. But God loves sinners. And God desires for sinners to repent and turn to Him. See, His justice requires sin to be paid for. But in His tender mercy, He killed His Son in our place so that the price of sin was paid and sinners can be saved. And that is tender mercy. And if you're here, if you're here, friends, and you're not a follower of Jesus today, um, I want you to understand that you're still under God's wrath because of sin. And He's calling you to turn and to trust and to be forgiven. But for the believer here, for the follower of Christ here, I pray that you think of God as one who is filled with tender mercy. I want to see that picture again. I just want us to think about it one more time. Believer, every inkling of your life, every flaw, every scar, every failure fits within that framework. And that's the lens with which God sees your life. He views you through the tender, merciful lens of the cross, through the death of His Son, and He sees your life as a life filled with beauty. What else does His tender mercy look like? Verse 78, Because of the tender mercy of our God, whereby the sunrise shall visit us from on high. Point number two, In tender mercy, He came to us. The sunrise shall visit us from on high. That is a beautiful picture. The sunrise, the first light of dawn. Now, I used to, I used to love to deer hunt. I used to love to duck hunt. And there is nothing more glorious and beautiful than when you're sitting out by a body of water duck hunting and waiting for the sun, the first light of day to pop through. And as soon as that sun begins to rise and light pops, life springs up all around. It's beautiful. It's beautiful. Christ is called the sunrise who will visit us from on high. And on high means the heavens. So in God's tender mercy, He sent the light. He sent the Son of God from heaven into our world, into our sin, into our brokenness, so we can be forgiven. I read recently, um, Super Bowl champion, quarterback, and NC State alumni, Russell Wilson, go pack. He has visited, um, he's often visited sick and dying children in the hospital. Um, and he goes there, and you see this with other celebrities at times as well, he goes there to provide some joy. He goes to where they are to provide some joy so they can experience a brief smile, so they can feel loved, right? And that's beautiful, and that's to be celebrated. But he can't take their disease. He can't make them well. He can't die in their place. He can't set them free. He can only hope to provide some temporary relief. Christ. Christ left the riches of heaven to come and live in the pit of our broken world. He took the penalty of our sin in His body. He took our place on the cross. He didn't just visit, but He lived with as one of us. He didn't just offer temporary relief, but permanent healing. He didn't just grant temporary smile, but eternal rejoicing. 
He didn't just hope for the cure, but He took our disease. He became the cure and gave us His wellness, His righteousness. In God's tender mercy, the light came from on high into our need and set us free. Verse 79 says, He gives light to those who sit in darkness and in the shadow of death. So point number three. In tender mercy, He shines light into our darkness. When light comes, the darkness flees. Christ is called the sunrise. He's called the morning star. He's called the light of the world. And He brings the light of salvation to our hearts. And He guides us to increasingly walk in the light, not sin and darkness. The light of Christ is poured out on us even, praise God, even in our darkest times. When the darkness seems to overcome us. And verse 79 says, we sit We sit in the darkness, not moving, right? Seemingly paralyzed by it. Just sitting in the darkness, feeling overcome. Do you ever feel there? Do you ever feel like you're there? We all do at times, right? We all do. In Psalm 42, the writer says this. He says, my tears have been my food day and night. That's a dark place, right? But that's real life. That's real life. Are you paralyzed by the darkness of guilt from present struggles? Paralyzed by the darkness of shame from past failures or fear of future failures? Does it feel like you're sitting in the cold shadow of death and your tears are your food? Remember, in Christ, the darkness no longer owns you. The darkness no longer owns you. In Psalm 42... The writer would ask this question. He would say, why are you cast down, soul? Why are you downcast, my soul? And instead of continuing to gaze inward, he would remind himself, he would remind himself of truth and focus upward. Why are you cast down, my soul? How did he answer? Over and over, he would say, hope in God. Praise God, my salvation and my God. You see, when we're bound in darkness, we must remind ourselves not to focus there, not to focus in the darkness, but on God and who He is. We must focus on the light. And as you gaze upon God's tender mercy, the light will begin to push in where darkness once dwelled. Martin Luther King Jr. says, Darkness cannot drive out darkness. Only light can do that. Beholding the beauty, the light of Christ is how we're changed. It's how light pushes in where darkness and where sin once ruled. You see, His beauty ignites our hearts to love God and love others. And Tim Keller says the observer of beauty always receives a passion to share that beauty with others. In tender mercy... God has opened our eyes to light, that we may be and extend light to others, both here and to the ends of the earth. Friends, we are so blessed. We are so blessed here at TCC to be graciously used by God to shine light here in the city and in this neighborhood. And we are blessed to have international workers who are out shining light amongst the nations. God has generously, generously poured mercy out upon us in our darkness. And we have the responsibility to spread that mercy and that light.
And that's why at CCC we're seeking to further um, the loving the city center idea and dream that we have to increase the spread of light here. That's why we delight in sending out international workers to shed the light of Christ among the nations. And that's why to support both of these endeavors, um, we're going to be on May 4th, we're going to be taking up an offering during the service to further these efforts both here in this city, in this neighborhood, and abroad. God has not been stingy with His mercy toward us, but has lavished it on us. So we pray His generosity toward us will lead us to give generously for the spread of His fame. The applause of His name. Let's keep going. In tender mercy, He not only moves us from darkness to light, but verse 79, He guides our feet in the way of peace. He guides our feet in the way of peace. Point number four. In tender mercy, He lights a path for us to walk in peace. And I want you just to think about the contrast, right? See the contrast there. No longer sitting, no longer sitting in darkness, in the shadow of death, but now walking in the light, by the light, in peace. Walking by the light in peace. Peace is what we long for. Peace is what I long for. Peace is what your heart longs for and craves. The world says that the path of peace is more treasure, more pleasure, more power, more comfort, more security. But true peace only deepens as we see more of God. So we see Him. We look to Him, to the light. We focus not on us, but on Him. Not first on our performance, but on His performance for us. Not on what we can or can't do, but on what He's done. Christ came to bring peace through faith. One day He's going to return. One day He's going to return and there will be a new heaven and a new earth where peace will reign and darkness will be no more. Revelation twenty-one twenty-five says there will be no night there. Why? In verse 23, because the glory of God gives it light and the Lamb is its lamp. But until then, until then, God has us in a dark world so we can shine bright. And as one man says, make God's invisible kingdom visible here. When we understand our sinfulness, yet how loved and accepted in Jesus we are, God's mercy will fuel us to get up from our despairing seat, moved by love to be the hands and feet of the Lamb who bled to set free, be spiritually helpless, blind, and diseased, made new by His grace now to see the Son came down to be all that we need, no more hoping our vile hearts can earn love, free to rest in His death as enough, the bride of Christ now unleashed from sin's binding, we are people redeemed who are steadily finding that His mercy is more precious than treasure, and grace received as of infinite measure. Christ has now set these new hearts ablaze, no longer bound in darkness as slaves, pouring out mercy because it's mercy we've known, reaching into darkness because the light we've been shown, consumed by the beauty of the one who is risen, now living to share mercy with those still imprisoned. Let's pray. God, we... We are so thankful that you have pulled us by your mercy and grace, your tender mercy, 
from darkness to light, that we are no longer bound. We have been set free. And now our lives can radiate and reflect that light to others that you may get the praise. When people who had a distaste for Christ and His church begin to understand the bitterness of their sin and the sweetness of the Savior who died for them. So God, that is our hope today. We thank you that the light has come. And one day there will be only peace. We will dwell in a place that's only filled with light. We long for that day and we praise you. And we pray all this in the precious name of Jesus Christ, the Lamb who was slain and the Lamb who was raised. Amen. Amen.